what I'm going to be doing today is um, completing this series on glorifying God. Have you enjoyed this series on glorifying God? It's a, it's a message we don't hear preached on that much nowadays, right? Um, everything is about glorifying self, you know? Yeah, the, the scriptures are there and everything, but ultimately it's about, it's about glorifying self. And so we're going to be talking about that. And then next week I'm going to finish, I'm going to do the last part of the... Um, uh, false Ministries series. I know some of you are like, are we going to finish it? Are we going to finish it? Yes, we're still going to do the last part, and we'll do that um, next week. Amen. Okay, and I just want to reinforce, guys, um, the couple's breakfast. It's, uh, these, these sessions are life-changing. They're life-changing for a lot of couples, and this time around, it's not going to be me speaking right the way through. I'll literally be introducing specific topics and getting the couples to speak to each other. Uh, emotional intimacy is built one conversation at a time. Emotional intimacy is built one conversation at a time. You don't just arrive at a place of emotional intimacy with another human being. It's built one conversation at a time. And so we're going to be practicing the art of conversing. All right. Um, last week, I finished off at point number 21. We're talking about 30 things every believer needs to know about glorifying God. And I'm going to continue today on um, the 22nd thing. The 22nd thing. Thanksgiving is a key in glorifying the Lord. Thanksgiving is a key in glorifying the Lord. We're talking about the technology of glorifying God. And I'm showing you in this series the how. Because this is something we speak about so often, but we do so little. What's the how part of glorifying God? Well, thanksgiving is a key in glorifying the Lord. If you look at Psalm 69, verse 30, it says, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. So how do we praise God? Very often it's through song. How do we glorify him? It says, I will glorify him with thanksgiving. This is so powerful. I will glorify him with thanksgiving. I want to ask you a question. When last did you have an opportunity to give thanks to the Lord? Have you noticed that very often we thank people when we should actually be thanking the Lord? We should thank those people and it's important, but in comparison we should be thanking the Lord way more. Amen? I had an experience where uh, this morning, actually, I was just, uh, I was reflecting on this. Uh, my wife is doing a race right now as we speak, um, half Ironman distance and so on. And so she's, she, she left yesterday. And it is interesting because I, I, I WhatsApped her last night and I said, the, the house is like a boarding house. It's like a cool, cool as in cold boarding house without you. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, for that, mothers are glues in families. You're the glue. If you actually unpack the word mother, one of its meanings is actually weaver glue, someone who brings things together. And I said to her, home feels like this cold boarding house. How many of you went to boarding school? Do you remember that feeling when it was a new term starting and you're one of the first few back at school and you're like waiting for your friends to arrive that cold feeling as you went through into the dormitories, that cement, unless you had carpeted dorms, but most boarding schools, you know, it was just the cement. You know what I'm talking about? And I said that to her. 
And then this morning, you know, just that feeling of we're used to certain things happening on Sunday mornings at home, you know. Now I'm going around and I'm saying to the boys, guys, what do you want? You know, guys, are you going to sort yourselves out, you know? And it just doesn't feel the same. And I remember thinking to myself, I must really reinforce this to my wife when she gets back, right, that we really missed you. And then the Lord, as I was just revising my notes again, going through this, he says, but did you thank me for the wife God has given you? Are you hearing me now? So there was a dimension where I was going to thank her, but I'd forgotten to actually thank God for her. And the Lord started showing me that there's so many things and so many times we say thank you to people. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. But you know, in scripture, there's a phrase that is repeated a number of times, and that is, we thank God for you. Amen. The saints are thanking God for what you have done. Amen. So thank the people, but also thank the Lord. Why? In thanking him, you're glorifying him. You're acknowledging him as your source. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right. So I thought to myself, I'm going to be preaching on this. I better be practicing it. So as I was going through my notes again, I was basically thanking God. Lord, thank you for Trace. Thank you for this aspect of her, that aspect of her. Thank you for the role she plays in our house. Forgive me, Lord, where I've taken her for granted. Are you hearing what I'm saying? right? That's what God has called us to do. It's a key in glorifying God. I mentioned to you last time that to the degree to which you glorify the Lord, to the same degree will you experience the glory of God in your midst. What do you have to thank God for? Who do you have to thank God for? Lord, I thank you for my wonderful children. I thank you, God, that they don't have any major issues. Thank you that they're pushing through when it comes to their academic work. We take it for granted there's some people who've got kids where, and maybe it's some of you here, okay, but where the kids are struggling, really struggling academically, all right? And for some of you, your kids, it's a breeze. And the debates you have with your wife is, oh, he came third this year, not, not first. And you're worried about that. When there's some people who are just like, hey, if my child gets 50%, shoo, I'm like, Lord, I'm so grateful. Thank God for that. Amen. Number 23, sin takes away from the glory of God being reflected in our lives. Sin takes away from the glory of God being reflected in our lives. In Romans chapter 3 verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, the result of sin is that we've fallen short of the glory of God. You see, God's plan for every single person, God's plan for you, God's plan for me, is that we reflect his glory. When we sin, we dim his glory. Remember one of the words in scripture for glory is Shekinah. One of the, one of the babies was born recently in the church, um, Sean and, Claude's, um, and Claudia's uh, baby is called Shekinah, right? And Shekinah speaks of the brightness, the splendor of God. That is dimmed when we sin. Are you following me this morning? So the thing about sin isn't just, oh, I'm feeling guilty, I've done something bad. The thing that should trouble us about sin is that we fall short of his glory. In other words, the glory and brilliance and radiance of God that's supposed to shine through us is been dimmed. Amen? It's been dimmed. I like, I like that scripture. 
I think it's extremely powerful. It's actually one of the first scriptures you learn when you get saved, isn't it? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So my question is, am I living in glory? Am I living in glory? This is a very powerful question. Are you living in glory? If someone comes to your house, is the glory of God manifest there? I'm telling you right now, sin dims the glory. And how many of you know that there's a continuum when it comes to glory? That's why the Bible says we are, we are going, ever increasing from one level of glory to the next. What's the glory level in your household? How many of you know that when the glory is so strong in your household, there's certain things that can't penetrate it? Are you hearing me? There's certain things that can't penetrate it. There are things that are in heaven that aren't, in, aren't on earth. And that's why Jesus says when we pray, what do we pray? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is our blueprint. So we want the glory of heaven to be made manifest in the earth. Could it be that some of the things you're experiencing in your life right now are because of lack of glory? Are you following me this morning? There are things we can actually do to increase the glory level in our households. Are you following there are things you can do to increase the glory level in your business. There are things that only happen when the glory dimension is high. And that's what this message is about. How do we, how do we activate that? How do we activate that? One of the things is thanksgiving. And the other thing that I'm mentioning is living free from sin. Number 24. God's glory is exclusively for him. God's glory is exclusively for him. I've said to you before that our problem is often we want partial glory. I want to challenge you with this question. Why do you want to be successful? These are questions we have to ask ourselves, saints. Why do I want to be successful? Because if many of us are honest with ourselves and we have this conversation with ourselves, you know, there's conversing with other people, then there's conversing with yourself. You'll hear people saying, when they're in their honest self, you hear them saying things like, you know what, I just, I just long for my family to respect me more. They mocked me so much when I was growing up. I just want that respect. But when you ask more than two questions deep, you actually realize that the person's motive for success is he wants to be worshipped by his family. He wants to be glorified by his family. There isn't that thing that says, you know what? I want to show the people around me that if God can do it in me, he can do it in them. And I want them to see that God was the source. Ask yourself, why do you want to be successful? Why do you want to be successful? These are real issues. Wounded people, wounded people very often will seek glory for themselves. Because you see, when you've been wounded, pain seeks pleasure. Have you noticed that? When you've experienced so much pain in your life, you then say, you know what? I've suffered so much. It's now my time to be glorified. It's my time now, ladies and gentlemen. And you see it with a lot of successful people, don't you? When they get that breakthrough, that musician you like so much, that actor you like so much, what happens when they get their breakthrough? It's now like, guys, you know how much we suffered. Now it's my time. Yes, feel free to worship me. Yes, I don't mind. Bring it on, bring it on. Okay. Pain seeks pleasure. In the book of Psalms, 
115 verse 1, it says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Isn't it amazing how that psalm starts? It doesn't just say, Lord, we give you the glory. Not to us, Lord, not to us. You see, if you want to maximize the glory of God in your life, you have to minimize self-glory. Can you see the correlation between the two? God will not be fully glorified in your life if you still want partial glory. And it's so deceptive. And so the thing for us to do is to actually pray and say, Lord, may you open my eyes that I may see aspects of my life where I'm seeking my own glory. It's very subtle. It's very subtle. In the book of Psalms 86, verse 8 to 10, it says, Among the gods, there is none like you. Lord, no deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you. Lord, they will bring glory to your name. But look at the context here. It says, Lord, no deeds can compare with yours. So my question to you is, when you talk about someone's deeds, that's fine. We can say, oh, Tuffy did such an amazing thing the other day. We can say, oh, um, Stuart did this awesome, amazing thing. And we can use the word awesome, amazing that he invented, right? That's cool, and we should celebrate each other. But my question to you is, in comparison to the Lord, how much do we praise people? Can you see this? It says, Lord, no deeds can compare with your deeds. Is there a distinction in your mind between people's deeds and God's deeds? One of the things that was quite sad for me, I'm a Lionel Messi fan and I like Lionel Messi, but you remember when he scored that free kick? I don't know if you heard what the commentators were saying, because you could see like people were watching, the people in the crowds were, were there watching and they were doing this basically, you know? And then the commentators were, were, were agreeing with it. They were saying, you can see why he's a God here. You can really see why he's a God here, you know, why they worship him here, right? Now, obviously for him, he's a humble guy. We know he's a cool person. And whenever he scores, you know, he looks up to the heavens and so on, right? We know that about Lionel Messi. But the point I'm making is all these people we admire, in comparison to the Lord, where do they fit? Amen. In theology, there's a term, the otherness of God. There's a whole study on that, on the otherness of God. That God is the self-existing one. God is the one who's just different. He's on another level. Amen? And let's make sure it remains like that. It goes on to say in verse 10, For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. His glory is not to be shared. How does this apply to our lives? Look what John did, John the Baptist. In John 3, verse 30, it says, He must become greater, speaking of Jesus, I must become less. You know what I find so interesting about that statement? John the Baptist didn't say, Jesus must become greater, full stop. Can you see the pattern here? It says, He must become greater, I must become less. In other words, if I don't become less, He won't be greater. In my life. Amen. Too many people have thought we can both share the throne. You know, me and Jesus. We can both be in the driving seat, me and Jesus. How many of you like people who do backseat driving? 
You know what I mean by backseat driving, right? You know the way and you are going a certain way and they want you to go up. So yeah, just slow down here. Yeah, okay, then turn left. Yeah, no, can you just start overtake? Yeah, no, can you just overtake this person? And then can you just, that's called backseat driving. And many of us, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, we think that the Lord doesn't mind us backseat driving. You know what I'm talking about, right? Let Jesus be in the driving seat and let him do his thing. Amen? Let him do his thing. I don't think he likes backseat drivers. All right? He can't be fully glorified if we're still competing for the glory. Our job is to reflect his glory, not to take his glory. And you know what's exciting? Life becomes easier when we settle this in our heart. When we settle in our heart that Jesus is Lord. Decision making becomes easier. I remember today, this morning, I was praying for a particular situation. And I was wondering, Lord, how should I actually pray into this? This was, it was just, it was a, a situation, not here, right? And the Lord just sh showed me, he just said, just think about what will glorify me more. Can you see, this becomes an anchor. And I was like, Lord, if this happens, if A, B, C, D happens, that doesn't glorify you. But if X, Y, Z happens, I can see so much glory going to you. So I'm going to pray that X, Y, Z happens. Amen? This thing of glorifying God becomes an anchor in our lives. It actually helps us when it comes to decision making, even business choices. Lord, if I work with this person and I do X, Y, Z, you'll get this much glory. If I work with that person and I do A, B, C, D, you'll only get a little bit of glory. I would rather do the first one. Amen? It's an anchor in decision making. Let's settle it in our hearts. Okay, I want to ask you that question again. Why do you want to be successful? It's a big one. Number 25, God is glorified when his acts are revealed. How many of you know that there are a lot of things that the Lord is doing right now in the earth? A lot of things he's doing. But they have not been revealed to us that, oh, God was the one who actually did that. Oh, God did this. To the degree to which his acts are revealed, to the same degree do you, will you find yourself worshiping him. And what happens is for a lot of people, it's like there's this veil over them that they can't see that this was the doing of the Lord. Are you getting this this morning? This is very powerful revelation. When you see that God was the one who was doing that, God was the one who fashioned that, Everything changes in your life. Everything. Okay? I want to show you this in Scripture. In the book of Revelation, verse 15, chapter 15, verse 4, it says, Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? Oh, when what happens? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Why will the nations come and worship before God? His righteous acts have been revealed. And that's a very powerful term, his righteous acts. There are almost legal connotations to that, his righteous acts. Do you ever have it where you observe that, you know what, God was the one who actually demoted that person and God has raised up this other person. Those are his righteous acts. 
Do you ever have it where you see that, oh, this person has been praying for this particular thing and applying God's principles, and look, God has come through. Those are his righteous acts. It's things that work according to his laws. And when you see that, oh, this was a God thing in my life, he gets the glory. Are you following this morning? Okay. Ask the Lord. Each one of us should be asking God, Lord, can you reveal to me your righteous acts? And let me tell you something. Some of the things that are his righteous acts, they don't look like they're his righteous acts. In fact, if you don't have revelation, there's certain things happening around us where you're trying to bind the devil. When you're trying to rebuke a spirit, but it's actually a manifestation of God's righteous acts. I hope you're getting this this morning. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Have his righteous acts been revealed to you? You know that when his righteous acts have been revealed to you, as you go home today, you'll be going home and you'll be just praising him because you'll be recognizing things that you hadn't recognized before. In fact, I want to pray for us as a church. Father, may you open our eyes where there's that veil right now, those scales, I command them to fall off in the mighty name of Jesus, that we would have a revelation of your righteous acts. And as a result of that, we would worship you in Jesus' name. God's dealings with man, those are his righteous acts. Powerful stuff. The 26th thing, we're talking about every, we're talking about 30 things every believer needs to know about glorifying God. Number 26, God is glorified when we surrender or die. God is glorified when we surrender or die. What we're covering right now fits in very well with what we've been talking about, false ministries. Because we live in a society where humanism has crept into the body of Christ. Have you noticed that? Man-centered worship. So even preachers, it's all about you, meology. And no one is speaking about death to self. People aren't speaking about that anymore because it's not popular. Amen? And how many of you will go to a seminar? Oh, there's this amazing conference. Oh, what's the preacher preaching on? How to die. How many of you will go? But how many of you know that you cannot experience a resurrection without death? You cannot flourish in resurrection life without a death. And the problem is people are trying to preach resurrection life without talking about how to actually die. So I want to show you some dimensions of death. You see, surrender is about yielding and dying. We need to give up and give in. And it involves the prayer of relinquishment. Prayer of relinquishment is where you basically say, I'm letting go of this. My question to you this morning is, what is God calling you to die to? Is there a dream that you have? That you actually just have to let go and allow God to resurrect it. And how many of you know that the resurrection doesn't happen as soon as the death takes place? Jesus died. He only came from the dead. He only rose from the dead three days later. Are you hearing me this morning? So there's that time in between the death and the resurrection. 
And you could see, we're watching this series at home, you know, the AD and the Empire, that one, right? And covers the resurrection onwards, the book of Acts. And you can see there's the time of disillusionment where the guys, the disciples, the first apostles, they're confused. They're like, what's going on? You see, doubting Thomas, even when Jesus pitches up, raised from the dead, resurrected, Jesus pitches up and he's still questioning. And for some of you, it might not be three three days before the resurrection of stuff in your life, maybe of that dream. For some of you, it's three months. For some of you, it's three years. But I want to encourage you to experience that glory dimension. There has to be a death. For many of us, we've died to certain things that we wanted to do with our lives. For many of us, we're still dying. How many of you know that uh, Paul the Apostle talks about dying daily? It's a process. And we can't teach discipleship without teaching about death. Amen? We can't teach on discipleship without preaching about surrender. We can't preach on discipleship without talking about relinquishment. Relinquishment is basically letting go. That's what it is. Question, what do you need to die to? What do you need to die to? God will only be glorified in our lives when there's death. And for many of us, there are a lot of things that are easy to give up. But very often there's that one thing, or for some of you, those two things, or for some of you, those five things (laughs) that are difficult to let go of. What is it? And very often it's subtle. Sometimes it's our reputation. Ah, no, no, no. Yes, I want them to know I'm a Christian. That's okay. But I don't want them to think I'm a radical Christian. You know what I'm talking about, right? So when it comes to sharing things on Facebook, you'll share the general stuff, you know, that like everyone is fine with. But the radical stuff you won't share. People might think I'm extreme. So you haven't died to that. Amen? Maybe it's respect. Maybe there's a respect you command. Maybe you're that firstborn or that respect you command in your extended family. And that has to be maintained. And all the arguments and fights you have with your siblings are to do with that respect. You just have to keep that respect. And then you struggle when you've got a sibling who doesn't seem to show you that same respect. Maybe it's something to die to. How many of you know that Jesus had to die to that? Think about it. He was the firstborn, wasn't he? In his natural family, he was the firstborn. Mary and Joseph didn't have other kids before him. Are you following me this morning? But you know that there was a stage where it says his brothers didn't really believe in him. Just go and read it in the Gospel of John where his brothers and them are saying, listen, why why are you hanging out here? Why don't you go to the festival so that people can see how great you are? And Jesus was like, my time hasn't come yet. They hate me. They don't hate you, but they hate me. You guys can go ahead. I'll chill here. That's what Jesus says. That's my little paraphrase. All right? And then it says, for they did not yet believe in him, his brothers. Now we know that his brother James ended up leading the early church, the church in Jerusalem. He ended up leading that church. So they came to a place of belief. But initially, obviously Mary believed in him. Okay? From the time he was born, from the time before he was born, you know, she believed in him. What are you holding on to? What's so precious to you? Has God called you to leave your current job and maybe work for some NGO or work for some organization that doesn't have as great a reputation, isn't a blue chip company? You know, some people, when they start working for these blue chip companies, it's like that's all they talk about. It's like, I'm just, 
The blue chip company, then when you start digging deeper and say, how much do they pay you there? A lot of blue chip companies don't always pay that, pay that well. It's good for the CV. It doesn't always pay that well. Amen? I've done, I've done work for all these great organizations, all these wonderful people. Some of the blue chips are awesome, they're great, but some of them are very stingy when it comes to cash. You know what I'm talking about? Whereas there's some NGOs I can do work for and they don't complain, they don't negotiate when it comes to uh, how much they'll pay me. But it's an NGO. For some of you, just be very careful. Those of you in business and those of you in corporate, are you just holding on to the image of, I work for this organization and it's part of my personal brand. It's part of your identity. When you'll be paid way more working for some of these startups that are starting up that no one, no one knows of, that have got a fancy vernac name, but there's lots of money going in there. Amen? I don't know where that came from. I hadn't planned to say that, so maybe it was a Holy Ghost rabbit trail. Hey? Okay? So this is crucial. We need to surrender concerning certain things. Sometimes Jesus is saying to us, can you just die in order to make room for my spirit to do things in your life? In John 13, verse 31 to 32, it says, When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. The context here of Jesus being glorified, the context is his death. John 21, verse 18 to 19, Very truly I tell you, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, now, you, you, you all know that. You, know, you guys know church history. We need to do a course on that. You know how Peter died, right? He was also crucified, but he, uh, history has it that he was crucified upside down, right? Because he said, like, I can't die the same death as my, my Lord and Savior type of thing, right? But Jesus had prophesied. So watch this. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, crucifixion. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. It didn't just say, he said this to indicate how Peter would die. The kind of death which would glorify God. Amen? There's a kind of dying that glorifies God. But are we willing to die? Are we willing to die? I want to show you another link between glorifying God and death. In Luke 22, verse 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. That's relinquishment. Did Jesus feel like dying on the cross? Was he like, ooh, this is the main thing. Bring it on. I just feel like it. My whole flesh just wants to get onto that cross. No. Remember, he was fully human like us. He wished there was another plan. Like, God, is, it, is this really necessary? Do we really have to use this route? Can't you just do something else? And remember, he even alluded to it at some point where he says, guys, don't you know? I'm doing this because this is my father's will. But if I wanted, if I was like the rulers of the world, I could just call down a whole lot of angels and wipe people out if I was like that. But my kingdom is not like that. Do you remember? 
So let's not forget, Jesus didn't feel like doing it in the flesh. And that's why he prayed this prayer. Father, would you please take this cup from me? But you know what the higher thing is for me, Father? Not my will, but your will. Isn't it amazing that Jesus was fully man? He was fully God and fully man. How do we know he was fully man? One of the reasons we know is he had a distinct will. He had a distinct will. That's part of being a human being. You've got a will. And he made sure his will was aligned to the Father's will. Can you see the distinction between his will and the Father's will? But he aligned his will to the Father. Same pattern for us. What are those things you have to die to? You don't feel like dying to them. And maybe you have to pray the same prayer that Jesus prayed. Not my will, Lord, but your will. It requires faith, doesn't it? Because when you have faith in this area, then you'll experience the resurrection. Resurrection life. God kind of life. This is very powerful. So the question I want to leave you with is, what do you need to die to in order to glorify God? God was glorified in Jesus' death. God was glorified in Peter's death. How can God be glorified in you dying? In me dying? Amen? Number 27. God is, glor God is glorified when we are fruitful. God is glorified when we are fruitful. This should help you in terms of praying. Because there are times when we don't know, Lord, do I pray like this? Do I pray like that? And God is showing us here that, you know what? When you're fruitful in whatever aspect of life, I am glorified. That gives us courage, isn't it? If you've got a small group, but no one is pitching up to your small group as a small group leader, you can stand on this. You can say, God, I know you are glorified when I'm fruitful. So I'm going to claim this for the group that I've started. Amen? Where do we see it in Scripture? John 15, verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What's one of the marks of discipleship? Fruitfulness. And I like the way Jesus says it. He doesn't just say bearing fruit. He says bearing much fruit. Elsewhere in Scripture, he actually says, I've anointed and appointed you to bear much fruit, and then he goes on to say, fruit which remains. In other words, he wants us to be established, not fly-by-night people where, hey, a bit of success here, bit of success there, bit of fruitfulness there, not much fruit there. He wants us to flourish. Amen? He wants us to flourish. Jesus cursed the fig tree. Now, there are many theological connotations to that, what the fig tree represents and so on. But just surface level, the fig tree was not bearing fruit. Amen? These are powerful prayers to claim in terms of fruitfulness, to stand on this word, to say, God, I know you want me to be fruitful. In what area of your life do you want to be fruitful? In what area of your life are you not experiencing fruit? Claim this. Say it back to the Lord. Things come into fruition when a seed germinates and becomes a plant. That's just one example, right? So my question to you is, what is still in seed form 
in your life and has not yet manifest in your life. What is that? Think about it. Number 28. God is glorified when we complete our assignment. How many of you are clear about the, the assignment you have from the Lord? You're clear about it. You know that this is something God has told me to do. Just raise your hands. You might, you might not be clear about everything, but there's things where you feel like he's given you an assignment. Please raise your hand. Okay, a number of you, right? God is glorified in completion of assignment. We see this in Scripture. We see this in Scripture. It says in John 15 verse 8. No, John 17 verse 4. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. It doesn't say I've brought you glory on earth by starting the work. It's easy to start. Many of us have to learn to finish strong. What has God called you right now to finish? Is there some strategy you were working on that was from heaven, but you just spoke about it, but you haven't completed it? What has God called you to complete? He's glorified in the completion, not in the starting. Amen? We know it's easy to start things. Many people start things. How many people finish? It's easy to propose, guys. It's easy to propose to a lady. But how many people do we know where they don't complete the process? Where for years it's like, so are you guys, are you married or... Like, what's, I know we're getting there, we're getting there, Pastor. Ah, we are almost there. Ah. Yeah, I know we're just putting the monies together, Pastor. No, we're just, it's easy. Anyone can do that. Anyone can go up to a woman. Any guy can go up to a girl. Come on, ladies, you know that. Some of you have been on the receiving end of this, right? Where you're like, there's no commitment here. Now, is God glorified in the starting of something or the completion in that department. It's the completion. Amen? I remember one time I was doing a workshop recently and I said, who's engaged here? Who's engaged to be married? And there was a guy who was a bit confused. He's, he was raising his hand, half raising, half putting it down. And he was like, no, that's the problem, you know, with the African society, you know how it is and so on. Because he had kind of like done the cultural thing, sort of. So, so some people, he would say, yes, I'm married, but no, not, but I'm just engaged and so on. Like, can I just say something about marriage? You're either married or not married. That's actually one of the principles about marriage. When you get married, everyone around should be clear that this is a married couple, right? Married or engaged, or just girlfriend and boyfriend. I'm, I'm helping you guys here, hey? All right? Because what we've seen happening is a lot of times people who just get married culturally, they don't define it. So if you're, only, if you're, if you're married culturally and you've decided that, okay, we're going to be man and wife, just married culturally and so on, let everyone know. So the family knows, the church knows, we are now man and wife. There must be no confusion. What we do encourage people to do is not just to be married culturally, but to also be married according to Roman Dutch law. Ladies, it protects you. Because if you're only married culturally, what happens? There's often that whole dynamic where if one day your dude comes and now he wants a second wife, my hands are tied. Because there were no vows that had been exchanged. Are you hearing me? 
So what you do is we try to bring those two things together. Right? You do whatever you need to do culturally and so on, and then you don't have to have a big wedding. The days of big fancy weddings, I know, yes, some of you have got this princess dream about a lot of things and so on, but it's not always practical. Amen? So rather, get married, if you then want to have a celebration later on and so on, do the celebration later on, but you don't have to invite the whole world. And you must learn to say no to certain people. Because there's some people who just come just for the food only. You know in our African tradition, we've got people, especially like at funerals, have you noticed? Like there was this one guy at a funeral, he had a toothpick or something, or he was using his finger, actually, I can't do it here. People are watching. And so on, eating the food, mm, mm, mm. And then someone says to him, like, so, hey, tell me, so what was your relationship with the person, you know, who, di who died? Uh, no, you know, we used to work together. How could you have worked together? Because it was, it's a four-year-old who died. Okay. So we see that happening in our, in our communities. So some of you are like, no, but I can't. I have to invite auntie so-and-so. I have to invite uncle so-and-so. Hey, so pastor, we can't get married. It will be too expensive because of all the people we have to invite. It never happens. Then the next year comes. Then the next year comes. Then the next year comes. Just do something small. Small, it's done. Then when you get more cash later on, if you want to celebrate renewal of vows and that kind of thing, then you do it. But don't put yourself under pressure now. I don't know why I'm saying all of this. It must be a Holy Ghost rabbit trail. Amen. <laughs> These are issues we've had to grapple with in church. Okay? Let there be no confusion. If we come to you and we say, are you married? You must give us a, it's a yes, no answer. Yes. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, madam. No, madam. There mustn't be, ah, uh, well, actually, yeah, because technically, oh, what? you're either married or you're not married. If you're not married, just say, I'm not married, and then we will work on that process. We'll fast track you. <laughs> Amen? Okay. Maybe that was for some people. Hey, lots of people are saying amen, so. <laughs> All right. So, um, this is very important, very important. We must complete our assignment. Amen. All right? When I, when I prioritize an assignment from my wife, I'm giving her honor. I'm actually giving her the glory due to her as my wife. A lot of the problems we're facing with a lot of marriages today is you'll have some wives saying like, you know what, when my husband is asked by his mother or his siblings to do something, he just drops everything else and he runs and he does it. But when I ask him, he procrastinates. When you procrastinate when you've been asked to do something, you're dishonoring the person who's asked you. Are you hearing me? Yes, you can apply it even in the church setting. Those of you who have asked to do certain things, church-wise, or those of you who have come and said, yes, Pastor Eldridge, when you procrastinate, you dishonor the person who's asked you to do a particular thing. When you don't complete a task, amen? Just say to yourself as you're going home today, I want to be a completer. I want to be a finisher. You know what happens with these races, these big races that happen, you know, um, these ultras and even sprints and so on. When you don't finish a race, you get a big thing next to you where other people have got their times and so on. Next to yours, it says DNF, did not finish. That's fine. It happens in races. But you know what's sad? For a lot of people, next to so many assignments that have come from heaven, there's a big DNF next to your name. 
I've been praying about certain things in my life and I've been, like, I've been saying, Lord, am I supposed to do this? Lord, am I supposed to embark on this journey? And if it's a journey for me to embark on, I need to obey. Otherwise, next to my name one day, there before the Lord, judgment seat of Christ, oh, there was this church plant, DNF. Oh, there was, there was this sermon series, DNF. Oh, there, were, there was this book series you were supposed to do, DNF. For some of you, oh, there was this girl you were supposed to marry, DN. Yeah. Amen. Finish it. Finish it. There was this degree. I was, there's so many people who are just in the middle of degrees. Make a decision. I want to encourage you. Make a decision to say, Lord, was this a degree I was supposed to have done? And then the Lord says, no, you started it in the flesh. That's why you're struggling to finish it. Then you just stop. Okay? Sunk costs. Instead of feeling guilty the rest of your life, I didn't finish that degree. I didn't finish. If it's a degree that God has called you to do, then in obedience, finish it. I speak to so many people and I say, so what are you studying? And so many people are in the middle of something. So how far? What's the plan? What's the next level? I'm still doing it. I'm, I'm just in the middle of it. And the longer you take to complete it, the more difficult it is. Let's be honest. Give yourself a deadline. Set aside finances. Complete it. He's glorified in your completion of things. Amen? Right now, Lord, I release your grace to help my brothers and sisters and help us as a church to finish what we've started. And please, there's no shame. There's no shame when you're in the middle of something and you realize you were doing it for the wrong reasons. It wasn't to glorify the Lord. Then you don't have to finish it because finishing it will be torture. Just say, God, I'm starting from scratch. It's so funny. It's the, it's the sunk cost fallacy. We have a tendency to finish things that we've already paid for. Have you noticed that? You go to a restaurant. They give, you ask them for something. You get it in your plate and you realize it's not what you wanted. You didn't think it was that, but it's already there. You know it's very unhealthy for you. You're allergic to some of the stuff. But because you're already going to be paying for it, what do you do? Let me just finish it. That's wrong. You go to a movie. You thought it was a PG-13 and it was a PG-13, but you're sitting down and you're seeing stuff and hearing stuff and you think the censorship guys made a mistake. Ah, but I've already paid my... How much do movies cost nowadays for adults? Right? I've already paid. We're already here. Let me just soldier on and watch it. God will understand. No, leave. Leave the place. Because that 80 rand that you paid or 70 rand is nothing compared to what you're now filling your mind with. Amen? What's more important to you, 80 rand or your mind? Are you hearing me this morning? Okay. So we must complete our assignments. God's glory comes down to earth when we complete heavenly assignments. I'm talking about heavenly assignments this morning, hey? not just any assignment. Okay? There are things that bring heaven to earth. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 11 to 12. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, 
that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. So when Paul was praying for the church in Thessalonica, he was praying that God brings to fruition the desires of their hearts. Isn't that powerful? It's a powerful prayer to pray over people. Lord, you know my brother Tindai's desires. Bring them to fruition, Lord. You know every work he wants to do that is produced by faith. Bring it to fruition, Lord. Powerful prayer to pray over people. For a lot of us, it's not, the gap is not our ideas, is it? We've got the ideas. We've got all these wonderful things in seed form. Our challenge is the completion. And you know where the enemy messes with us? We think we've done it because we've started it. We think we've done it because we've started it. If you look at people like John Cotter, he's a Harvard guy. He's an expert when it comes to leadership and change. And he's got this theory that talks about eight reasons why lasting change doesn't take place in organizations. You know what one of those reasons is? Declaring victory too soon. Because you think because you had a meeting with your guys, so you think the thing has happened. The prayer we need to pray is, Lord, those desires that are in seed form, may they come to fruition. Amen? Just because you've seen it in your mind and you've discussed it, doesn't mean it's happened. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, we pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Can you see the link between coming to fruition and the name of the Lord Jesus being glorified in you? And by the way, it's not talking about Jesus being glorified in heaven. It's not talking about Jesus being glorified in those people over there in that church. Jesus being glorified in you. He wants to be glorified in you, in me. Amen. Amen. Fulfilling your calling living beyond good intentions and works produced by faith, when you complete all of that, the result is he's glorified. I remember some years ago, almost 20 years ago, I did a message for a particular youth group and the message was entitled, Living Beyond Good Intentions. Living Beyond Good Intentions. One of the challenges we have in the body of Christ today is many of us have got good intentions. Few of us have mastered the art of living beyond them. Amen. How many of you struggle with procrastination? You struggle with procrastination in general. Just be honest, there's breakthrough here. There's breakthrough in confession. This is not about image or anything, right? Let me just say something. It's important to understand the why behind the procrastination. When I know how behavior was learned, it becomes easier for me to unlearn it. When I know how my behavior was learned, it becomes easier for me to unlearn it. People very often will procrastinate because of inner vows that they've made. So if you've made an inner vow that I will never work with those West African people, I don't trust them. If you've made that kind of vow, the moment God sends someone, from that area to you, and that's a blessing for you, you'll find yourself resisting, resisting. Why? Because you're living out the vow you've made based on your own prejudice. Amen? 
Another reason why we procrastinate, we procrastinate because we actually disagree with what we've been asked to do. But we're too afraid to have the difficult conversation to say, guys, I disagree. A lot of people, they go on a personal go slow. Have you noticed that? They're asked to do something. They go on a personal go slow. Why? Deep down inside, they don't really agree with it. They've actually got a different opinion. Rather be honest and say, you know what? I actually see things differently. Amen? Very often we procrastinate because of a wound in us. Resentment. Have you noticed what happens? Let's say your boss asks you to do something. But because when you asked them to do something for you, they took their time. What happens now? At a subconscious level, you find yourself dragging your feet. Uh, why should I hurry up and do that? What about last year when I asked for A, B, C, D? Did they deliver? No, they took their time. So I'll also take my time. There's no blessing in that. Amen? Sometimes we procrastinate because of fear of failure. Fear of failure. I'm afraid I might fail. How many of you know that that doesn't work? I've been trying to encourage my kids. They, they're very involved in their soccer and so on. And there was a time when Jaden yesterday, he was going for it, going for it, and he could have scored, right, at a, in a particular match. I was like, Jades, you could have scored. And then he tried to do a one-two. I think Daniel was also there and so on. He tried to do a one-two to Daniel, and it didn't work out. And I said, if you're a striker, you must be hungry to score. If you hit the post, that's okay. If it goes over, that's fine. Do you know that with Lionel Messi, he's been the top goal scorer for some time, right, in La Liga. Do you know one of the records he broke in the other season? you know what it was? The person who hit the post the most amount of times. You see where I'm going. Failing is part of success. Failing is part of success. Do you know that it's been found statistically? Some of the guys who had the greatest artwork in terms of paintings and so on, they also painted duds that didn't work out. The same with Shakespeare. Shakespeare had all these wonderful things, Othello, Macbeth, the things you know about. But you know that it's been found that around the time these guys produced, produced their greatest work, around the same time they were also producing their worst. The books you never hear about. Are you following this morning? With people who procrastinate, you know what we say to them? We say, just get started. You can always refine as you go along. I've now done 35 books. 35 books. One of these days we'll be speaking and you'll hear, being who I am, I'll talk about it. One of them will be a bestseller. But it's been found the guys who end up having the bestsellers aren't the people who only do one thing. They do multiple things. Some of them might have errors in them. Some of them might have a theory which they now disagree with. But you'll find as you produce and produce and produce what's in your spirit, at a certain point, you'll just hit something. We've seen it historically with artists. All those guys, Picasso, Van Gogh, you've seen them with artists. We've seen them with authors. We've seen it with authors. And we'll see it with you and me. But you cannot be a perfectionist who procrastinates. Sometimes that's, that's actually a main reason for procrastination, perfectionism. When you're the kind of person who's afraid of failure, afraid of making a mistake, right? So you never try. You know that if you aim at nothing, that's what you hit, right? You, that you'll get nothing. Some of you need to step out and do that thing. Complete that task. Make it happen. You'll make mistakes along the way like we all have. And it's okay. Our identity is not in our performance. Amen? Your identity is not in your performance. Your identity is in Christ. 
Number 29, we are called to glorify God with our bodies. We are called to glorify God with our bodies. Glorify him in your body. Consecrate your body parts. Sometimes when I'm counseling people, I've sometimes said that to them. Consecrate all your body parts. Lord, I give you my eyes. Lord, I give you my hair. It belongs to you. My brain. Every single part of your body. How many of you are scientists? How many studied biology? Hey, quite a number of people. So you guys have got an added advantage. All right? Because you understand all the body parts. For, for everyone else, just look at yourself in the mirror. You know, <laughs> finger. This. Right? Or when you're having a bath. You know what I'm trying to say? Thank God, everybody, even the parts you don't like that much. Seriously. Watch this, watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? So your body, my body, belongs to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we've got this thing that, no, it's just my spirit that belongs to God, but my body is mine and I can do whatever I want with it. Eh, wrong answer. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Do you know when Paul said this to the church at Corinth? He was actually addressing the whole issue of a guy who was sleeping with his, one of his father's wives. Okay, I know it's tricky getting your mind around that, right? But don't worry, some of these fathers have got very young wives, eh? Young, pretty wives. <laughs> but the point is, this guy was doing that. And it's interesting how Paul the Apostle addresses this issue. He's focused on, are we glorifying God with our bodies? And he's focused on identity. If I believe I'm a cow, I will go and eat grass. If I believe my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, I will act accordingly. If I don't act accordingly, it means I don't yet have that revelation. And then Paul will come to me and will say, Paul, do you not know? And that's exactly what he's doing here with the church at Corinth, right? He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Then he says something so powerful, one of my favorite phrases in scripture, you are not your own. Too many Christians in churches act like they're their own, like they belong to themselves. You are not your own. I don't belong to myself. My life is not my own. Amen? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. How would you feel if you pay for a vehicle? And then without asking you, you just see someone acting like it's theirs. And then they say, yeah, no, I'm going to do my own thing with it. And they start doing wheelies and, you know, skidding around. You know, they watch, uh, what is that, Fast and Furious, start trying to copy that and so on. How would you feel? What brings ownership? Purchase. The contract of sale. And that's the language Paul the Apostle is using. He says that, guys, someone actually bought you back. That's what redeem means, to buy back. And we had wonderful communion this morning. We were bought with the blood of Jesus. Blood of Jesus. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Just think about that. Reflect on it. Lord, you shed your blood. 
not just for my self, the salvation of my spirit, but you shed your blood so that all of this, my physical body and what it does, everything, it now belongs to you. So what's the attitude of someone who has that revelation? Yes, sir. You know like what the Nigerians are like, what Paul is like, Paul and Agnes, what they're like. Yes, sir. Yes, madam. We're joking about it. There was one lady, she, was, she heads up a, a team. She works for one of these multinationals. And we're just talking about how respectful these guys are, you know. And she said, yes, I was in this estate the one time. You know, when kids are playing, they just focus on playing. And these two Nigerian kids, they were on their bikes or something, and they literally stopped their bikes and went, afternoon, madam, afternoon, right? Now, culturally, a lot of people can do that with human beings. What are we like with the Lord? Glorify God with your body. Lord, what would you want my body to be doing today? Where would you want my feet to go today? What do you want my mouth to say today? To the degree to which we have that mindset, ladies and gentlemen, he will be glorified. Amen? Are you getting something this morning? And then number 30. We glorify him when we receive a stewardship mindset. And this is similar to number 29, but I just wanted to distinguish it. Okay. A stewardship mindset. When you're a steward, what does it mean to be a steward? I'm looking after something that belongs to someone else. Amen? I look after my body because it's not my own. Amen? I look after my spirit because it's not my own. I look after my soul because it's not my own. It's a stewardship mentality. As a leader of this church, I have to look after it. It's not mine. This is the Lord's church. And as pastors, we are under shepherds. He's the chief shepherd. So if I rebuke someone, I'm doing it because I'm a steward. If I have to step someone down for whatever reason, I'm doing it because it's not my own. Are you following? Now, you can apply this to your business. If you consecrate your business to the Lord and you have a mindset of this is the Lord's business that he's blessed us with, you can have the same mindset. Can I just say something? Biblical wealth, and I've got a book, Kingdom Wealth. Kingdom Wealth is not about ownership. It's about stewardship. When you have that revelation, everything will change in your life. Lord, the finances that I have, I'm a steward. I'm not an owner of. It belongs to you. My life is yours. How would you have me use it? The children you've blessed me with, these are not mine. They belong to you. But you have said in this season, Paul, you will father them. Am I being a good steward of what you've blessed me with? I've got them for X number of years. Am I going to be a faithful steward? 
And for some of you, it's a wake-up call when you realize that the number of years you've got with your kids, number of years left, is less than how many years you've had with them. So time is running out in terms of influencing them. My chili is laughing because she's like, been there, done that. For me, like I'm now like, I'm post-grad when it comes to that now. <laughs> she's giving me that look. That, okay. Romans 8 verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. How many of you have the spirit of Christ? So you belong to Christ. Let's live like it. Let's live like it. Amen. And amen and amen. I enjoyed teaching that. I trust that God ministered to you through this series. And may he take us to another level of giving him all the glory. And please, share this message. I'm glad the Joburg people are listening to this also. Guys, let's share this message. Let's talk about it because it's so crucial. We live in this world of me, 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 gospel, instant everything. Let's talk about dying, death to self. Let's talk about holiness once again. Amen. Let's talk about righteousness once again. Let's talk about glorifying God with what I say and through thanksgiving. Let's maximize that. Less of me, Lord, more of you. Amen. Let's not be a church where we just want to hear messages about how can I be great this week and take over the world. Tell me, preach to me, pastor. Prophesy, prophesy, prophesy. Let's grow up. Amen. I'm sick and tired of things that are being done in the name of the Lord Jesus that are actually diabolical. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. You're so kind. We give you honor. We give you glory. Oh, we worship you, Lord. We magnify your name. Become bigger and bigger and bigger in our lives, in our households, in our businesses, in our schools. Become bigger and bigger, Lord. And may we become less and less and less for your honor and for your glory. May we point people to Jesus no longer to ourselves. You're so wonderful, Lord. If you are here and you're in a space where you're saying, you know what, if I'm honest with myself, when I think of that thing about success, Paul, that you asked, why do I want to do what I want to do? I can't truly say it's completely for his glory. But I want to make that commitment that every success I'm desiring is for his glory and for his honor. Every degree I want to do, I'm wanting to do it so that Jesus is glorified, not myself. I'm not doing it so I gain respect from people. I'm doing it so that I honor him. If you're here this morning and you want to make that commitment to the Lord, just stand where you are and we will pray. Saints, just pray with me now. Father God, I surrender to you. I want to be successful, but for your glory and for your honor. May you open my eyes. Show me anything that I'm holding on to. Show me the things that I'm struggling to let go of. Because I surrender them now. 
I choose to glorify you by dying, dying to self, so that you may raise me up to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, E-Family, online family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget... We've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.